The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, Cal State Fullerton's own and the coolest guy you know, Dr. Andy Galpin. So psyched. Pumped. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to The Lab Report. It's also got to be perfect for Andy Galpin. Really? He you're, deserves you're, it. You're a perfectionist. I'm more of a like, this could be fun. Let's just see where this goes. This could be exciting. Oh, no. Spontaneity makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. Welcome to the Lab Report. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm glad. Excellent. This is a Genova podcast where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and uh, we're going to talk muscle fiber types because I'm going to ask about it. So I love get, talking about it. Over that, I love me some muscle fiber types. But just as some housekeeping, if this is the first time you're hearing this podcast and you what? agree after hearing Dr. Andy Galpin that this might be the best podcast you've ever heard, you should probably go to iTunes or Spotify and hit that subscribe button. Which means you've already determined that, which means you've already gone and hit the subscribe button. So in that <laughs> respect, thank you. <laughs> and if you have any feedback like, how did I just find out about this podcast? Where have I been? And how do I get the yes. other 51 episodes? Then you can email those at podcast at gdx.net and we'll help you out. We'll, we'll show you where to find the other 51. It's not a secret. It's, it's not, out there. It's not. It's actually right there where you found right this Right in front one. of your face. Yeah. But all things being equal, we've had a couple of guests on the podcast thus far to speak to that functional medicine matrix, the exercise is medicine part of that. Yeah. And today's kind of a continuation of that theme and... We got the famous Dr. Andy Galpin on the show. Man, he is famous, huh? Yeah. He's written Wicked a book. Smart. He's been on Joe Rogan. He works with a bunch of professional athletes. But that being said, I also really, I love all of his YouTube videos. Yeah. I learn a lot. And I'm a doctor, and I'm like, well, how did I do I forgot this. This is great. Yeah. Super informative. Yeah. So we're going to geek out a little bit here on some muscle fiber types from Michael because he loves it. And we're going to get more information from Dr. Andy Galpin and just have some fun today. Awesome. Let's talk to him. Call him up. Patty. Yeah. Today we have on Dr. Andy Galpin. Did you know that? Oh, oh, I know. How this. excited are you? I'm like super jacked. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Andy Galpin. Dr. Galpin is a tenured professor at California State University Fullerton in the Center for Sports Performance. Andy grew up in rural southwest Washington. He won Division III National Championship in football while earning his undergraduate degree in exercise science at Linfield College. And he received his master's degree in human mo movement sciences from the University of Memphis and his PhD in human bioenergetics from Ball State University. Andy is an active member of the National Strength and Conditioning Association and American College of Sports Medicine and serves on the advisory board of many private and nonprofit companies in the area of human performance. He is the author of the best-selling book Unplugged and routinely speaks at conferences, clinics, and on podcasts around the globe. He even co-hosts a few podcasts as well, like The Body of Knowledge and Barbell Shrugged. And Andy works with high performance as a high performance coach and consultant to numerous professional athletes as well. So with that, welcome um, to the lab report, welcome, Dr. Andy. Galpin. Thank you so much for joining us. 
<laughs> Pleasure to be here. Well, what we do here in functional medicine is we work on things trying to get to the root cause of disease. And part of the the workup in functional medicine is around movement and exercise. And we've had some prior guests on the show in your field of movement and exercise. And it seems like having a background in athletics is a prerequisite or at least an inspiration. So how did you get into the field of exercise science? Yeah, well, I'd say it's, first of all, of all the exercise science related people that you've had on before, uh, I'm by far the best. They're all a bunch of schmucks. <laughs> Kelly no Starrett, what's that guy know? Come on. <laughs> Jimmy Bagley, <laughs> amateurs. Uh, but no, I'm. A, you pick all those names, Kelly, Jimmy, and myself. We, we all have basically the same story. In fact, we were reasonable athletes, and so there was an incentive to learn how to do things better. Um, when we trained better, when we ate better, etc., there was tangible improvements in performance and success. But we weren't so good that training and exercise and sleep and hydration didn't matter. And so right. we were right in that moderate success range. So that's probably, you're probably going to find that similar story with most of us. And, and mine's not different in that sense. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, your, your PhD is in human bioenergetics, which is a little bit deeper than exercise science and kinesiology. Can you explain what bioenergetics is and kind of how it's different? Sure. The, the exercise science is what most would predict it to be, you know, at the undergraduate level. And then for my master's, it was honestly same thing by a different name. You know, it, it's more, it's a little bit of biomechanics, some sports psychology, some um, metabolism stuff. Uh, and then for my PhD, it was really more focused on the muscle physiology uh, specifically. And so we would um, take muscle biopsies from athletes and, and even Older, some older folks and even some 90 plus year old athletes, which was a fun study that we ran cool. and I'm happy to talk more about, but uh, it's, it's then, an, it's analyzing the human performance element from the single cell level. And so we took this, what we call um, whole muscle to single fiber to molecule down to gene approach to answer the question. So it's, it's looking at, you know, whatever stuff is relevant to the, to the cell and they're trying to bring it back to the whole function so we have some sort of clinical outcome to, to tie that to. Cool. So it is. It's that multiomic approach. But even when you, you get down to that level, biochemistry and phys and ATP, these are difficult topics for a lot of people to grasp. And, you know, here we, we teach this on the phone. We speak to doctors because we measure things like organic acids in the Krebs cycle. But Michael and I kind of stalk your YouTube channel because you have those five, 25 and 55 minute phys lectures. And we actually send docs there when there are questions. What inspired you to start creating that content just to put on YouTube? Yeah, well, it was a handful of things, to be honest. Um, I felt a bit restrained because of the fact that my classes are senior and graduate level. And so, you know, you've got to go through three years of school to get into it. And you got to go through all these prereqs, et cetera. And I'm like, man, this is actually the stuff. And don't mean to be arrogant there, but this is the stuff that actually people want to know. And people are interested right. in this. And like, why did they have to sit through geography class and, <laughs> you know, three years of other stuff just to figure out like what the hell are carbohydrates really? Right. Yeah. Right. We, we just want to know like the basics of strength training or whatever. And, and I just got mad because my classes are always full and they're always huge waiting lists. And I'm like, why, why can only these people get in it? I'm like, and I don't really care about monetizing. So I didn't want to be like my friends and well, let's make a company and let's sell online digital products. And, and I'm like, I just like, I hate all that stuff. So all I like, I like to teach and I like to get information out there. And then I thought, you know, I didn't come from a lot of privilege, um, in that sense. And so I was like, man, there's just a lot of people that, that want to eat better. They want to train better. They want to feel better. 
but they don't have either the time to be in college or they don't have access to any of these things, but basically everybody has internet. So I'm just going to make all these things and, and put them out there. And that way anyone has access to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that I approach those topics quite different. So if mm-hmm. you've ever had say a degree in exercise physiology, you would watch those videos and be like, wow, why the hell did no one ever cover that? Yes. Right. Um, right. So yeah. they're, they're unique like that. So I just thought like people would be interested in seeing this different angle. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll just put them out there. No, I love them because they're fun. And it's all the stuff that we learned way back in school. And now here we are at doctors and we forget, right? We forget this stuff. And so it's fun just to see these little bite-sized bits of information in a fun way. So I love them. And getting into your research a little bit, Dr. Jimmy Bagley was on the show and he talked a little bit about the basics of muscle fiber types. Yeah, we geeked out. And (laughs) yeah, I, I think that that area of research is really, really fascinating. And you work a lot also with elite athletes like MMA fighters. So how does your research further sport performance, this research into muscle fiber types, how does that help us? Well, I mean, that's an eternal question. Right? <laughs> um, some of it doesn't. And that, that's part of research, right? It, is, mm-hmm. it doesn't always necessarily have a direct outcome. And sometimes it even has an outcome that goes backwards. Yeah. yeah. It's like, actually, now this, this path is dead. You got to move somewhere else. Right. Uh, but th- that's part of it, right? You're going into the unknown. So, I mean, we can use it in an array of different uh, scenarios. And so it could be something like, identifying uh, if you have more fast twitch or slow twitch fibers and just the technology that goes, that has gone into that has increased dramatically. Um, now we're at the level where we're looking at things like signaling proteins, if you will. Right. And so we want to look at, uh, for example, uh, maybe I'll, I'll just give you an example of our recent clinical trial and, and that'll help yeah. get the concept. So um, we were interested in muscle hypertrophy and a lot of folks are interested in the topic of what's called intermittent fasting right now. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of different ways to do that, but one of the most popular is called 16, eight. Yep. So mm-hmm. this would be you'd fast for 16 hours and consume all of your calories within an eight hour window. And there's a lot of claims regarding that uh, in terms of aging and autophagy. And you hear all of these like, you know, yeah. sciencey words thrown out there. Right. And almost all the research on that has been with the assumption that you're trying to lose fat. And mm-hmm. so while I'll acknowledge that that is a pretty important thing right, right now, mm-hmm. um, my question was always, what about the muscles perspective? And yeah. so what about folks who are trying to gain muscle or simply not wanting to lose muscle, um, especially whether you're talking about athletes or even through aging, we know that the preservation of muscle is critically important to aging sure. well. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we want to say, what about people who are trying to gain muscle? Does that hurt? Does it help? Or does it, is it irrelevant to those folks that are trying to do it? And so we, we did, um, and my style of research is a bit different because we try to be as inclusive as possible. And so what I mean is uh, we, we ran a trial uh, looking at this and, and the, the goal was folks trying to gain muscle. So it wasn't a fat loss study. It was a muscle gain and they were optimizing for muscle growth. Uh, and we looked at everything from the gut microbiome. So we took stool samples you know, pre and every couple of weeks throughout the entire trial of all the groups. We asked them questions in the entire way about, you know, their GI function. We asked them questions about how hungry they were throughout the day, how hard was it difficult to follow, just a whole list of subjective questions and, and things that would come up in real life of saying, well, yeah, maybe the physiology says it's better or worse, but it was so much more difficult to pull off. Mm-hmm. Or wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so we asked all kinds of questions that you'd want to know, you know, going into it. Um, then, of course, we took all kinds of performance measures. So we did what we call a 4D analysis of body composition. So we used, uh, rather than just putting on a DEXA or something, we use uh, a more complicated system. We, uh, we we took blood markers, of course. We 
uh, did MRI or not MRIs, we did ultrasounds of, of upper and lower body musculatures. We looked at muscle thickness, cross-sectional area, penation angle, fascicle length, all of these things. We took up muscle biopsies. We looked at whole cell adaptations. So the individual fiber size, uh, the fiber type specificity. So the faster fibers grow more than the slow twitch fibers. We looked at the anabolic signaling cascade and all of that's done in one muscle fiber at a time. Wow. So it's not a, just a big hmm. homogenate. Yeah. It's individual muscle cells that cascade. We looked at total protein, signaling protein. We're going all the way down to looking at um, gene stuff. So we're looking at the epigenetic responses again in those single fibers. And we're, we're, the goal is to, to tease that entire package together to see know what the answer is and so you know we may come out with outcomes like well the folks reported that it was you know twice as difficult to pull off but it resulted in the same muscle growth or it had less muscle growth but it was easier or whatever that the answer would be um so my point with the original question is i'm very much interested in not just taking a single marker and saying oh this is what happens in isolation but being able to go back to people and whether that's an athlete or not and saying Okay, here's what we found. Um, subjectively, this is what it's going to feel like. Uh, this is what's going to happen maybe at the molecular level. And did that actually then predict more actual growth? And, oh, and then we did performance stuff as well. So muscle strength, muscle power, muscle endurance, right. a lot of stuff. And so we can present the entire package to either the athlete or the non-athlete, and um, they can understand, you know, again, the basic physiology of what's going to happen, but then also saying, yeah, okay, well, that was great, but you know, then I was walking around on a flatulence machine the entire time, or right, whatever, which, which people in real life would be like, okay, I'm not doing it. Right, 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 right. So those are very, very, very important considerations that typically studies uh, won't include in their metrics. So that's that's kind of how we try to to shift actual thing. And like I said, that's one example of one of our studies. And so we do some things that are um, more athlete specific, and so we would get answers um, that would be more in that realm for those individuals. Yeah. And, and with, yeah, yeah, yeah and that's kind say. of my question. So then how do you take information from athletes and then translate it to be used in clinical practice, like for a non-athletic patient or an elderly yeah. patient? So uh, in this particular example, this study was not done in athletes. Okay. So, uh, you know, that we have a just fine. We, we typically, and, and we have in my career, we've done studies in college age individuals, which is, you know, most research in this field is, is done like that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For obvious reasons. Uh, we've done research with, like I said, 80 plus, 90 plus year olds as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually put in an NIH grant last year to try to do, uh, we wanted to specifically target, target middle-aged individuals oh, okay. yeah, um, because there's no research in that age range at yeah. all. Huh. So we know what happens at 70 plus, we know what college kids, but there's nothing in between. And what most people don't realize is that's actually the biggest population group. Right. And they're going to overtake baby boomers very soon. Right. Well, why is that? Why is there no research on that group? Uh, well, because it doesn't answer those. Like, it doesn't fall under the umbrella of the National Institute of Aging because it's not an aging folks. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and it's not it's, the accessible you know, population that, that's, that you guys that's, are working with. Yeah. Right. Well, Ten times as expensive right. and difficult to do than the college kids. And that's so right. you either do college kids or you get NIA funding. Got it. And nothing uh, else in between. But it sucks because, you know, by the time you're 70 – well, it would have been helpful if you did the right exactly. things at 35. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. But they don't want to fund research in that area. And that's that's actually, we've tried multiple times for multiple places to get funding to look in that area, but um, it's just not as sexy, I guess. So, Well, with respect to, because we do know that overall muscle strength and, and uh, it's just, you know, even things like grip strength have such a 
impact or an, a predictor of long-term morbidity, mortality, like what would you say to the average individual as far as what you need to be doing for the specific muscle types that's going to help you be preventative in the long-term of injury and, and all those things that we think of as with uh, sarcopenia? Yeah. So I'll point you, I wrote an article for one of the companies uh, that I work with called XPT. And if you search around there, you can find this article and maybe you can put it in your notes or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, but the, the entire approach was um, here's how to integrate. I think all of the things you need, if just living well and health are the primary outcome goals, because this is not something for athletes. And I wrote, I think uh, a three day a week, sample so if you're gonna work out three days a week and then i wrote a five day week mm-hmm. sample or something and i showed um, how to integrate all the things that i believe are important into a program that's realistic for folks probably in their middle age that have limited to to know or a little bit of exercise experience but um, I'll, I'll try to gloss over it now but if you want more detail you can go back and, and look at that yeah. so the what we have to pay attention to is if we look across the literature at the things that are typically the strongest predictors of, as you mentioned, mortality, as well as just well living through aging, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is surprising to some folks, but it is things like you, you mentioned grip strength. Uh, lower body strength is another you know, really, really common metric. A total amount of muscle in your legs specifically, and even foot speed mm-hmm. uh, and foot power are now popping up. Interesting. Right? Just on like st- stability. Catch yourself from a fall. Yeah, from falling. Stability yeah. balance. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The other ones that you see commonly are things like your VO2 max. Hmm. Okay. Which is a very it basically saying how how much air can you bring in and utilize in the muscle right. and get right. out, right? This is the cardiovascular fitness part of it. So basically, are you strong and functional? Can you move your body? And then are you are you cardiovascularly and metabolically fit? Right. Okay. This is the broad way to think about it. So if you understand that, then all you have to do is some type of training that will address those areas. And so we'll go backwards uh, in this conversation. We'll start off with VO2 max. Uh, I think we've missed the boat on this entirely. And I think we, we teach this exponentially orders of magnitude more difficult than it needs to be. If you want to improve your uh, ability to shoot a basketball mm-hmm. and you want to be able to shoot better free throws, we know that the best thing you could ever do is shoot more free throws, mm-hmm. right? right? Mm-hmm. Practice that specific skill. If you want to improve your VO2 max and your ability to transport and utilize oxygen, all you have to do is occasionally do something that challenges the heart. Hmm. Right. That's it. If you yeah. look across right. the literature, oh, all these studies comparing this, blah, 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 they all show up pretty much the same. Once equated for this, once equated, it's all pretty much. The, and, and to me, like, it's the most idiot thing ever. Like the heart doesn't know what you're specifically, it just knows how hard it's working or not. Right. Right. So if you can equate for how hard it's working, the rest of the crap is noise. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. For the most part. And I don't mean noise is irrelevant. I mean, okay, what do you want to cycle? Do you want to run? Okay. Well that leave that up to things like what access, what do you have access to? What, what are you technically good at? What do you enjoy? Etc. You want to do circuit training? Fantastic. You want to do intervals? Fantastic. You like to do steady state. You like to jump. That stuff is way less important for the average person. What matters is effort and intent. Mm-hmm. Are you putting in the work? Are you challenging the ability of the heart to produce and move things? And that's going to have an entire cascade of downstream effects that, that and all that matters is you get something in. So my opinion on the cardiovascular piece of the equation is do something once a week, if you can, that challenges your ability to sustain exercise output 
consistently over time. Yeah. This would be classic cardio, steady state. It could be 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Uh, you want to be on a rower? Great. You want to do a little circuit with some bodyweight stuff? You want to do a cardio kickboxing class? You want to do cycling? Fine. Don't stop moving for 30 to 60 minutes. Do something once a week that requires you to get to a true heart rate max or I don't really mean it 100%. Right. Mm -hmm. Call it 90, 92, 93. Like something where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm dying right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You yeah. want to do a kettlebell circuit? You want to do intervals on a bike? You want to do on that? My favorite, like the Aerodyne or Aerosol bikes. Those details are a lot less relevant to the physiology at the R. If you accomplish those, those two things, your cardiovascular system will be bulletproof for the vast majority of us. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Then when it comes to the other side, and then I'll finish this and I'll, I'll pause and I'll let you actually <laughs> reflect to that. But I want to make sure that, that people see the, the, the whole system, right? Of course. Um, then you have to do something with your, your muscles and, and especially the, low, the lower ones once a week that require you to exert a lot of force. Again, this doesn't really have to be a hundred, a true hundred percent, but it can't be something that's like 60% either. Because one of the things we know happens is you don't actually activate your fast twitch muscle fibers until you do something very heavy. And that is a particular problem with aging. We just talked about how strength and foot speed are significant predictors of mortality. Well, that's driven by fast twitch fibers. And we know that those are preferentially lost with aging. Mm -hmm. So once a week, do something that's kind of heavy. Try to use multiple movements and good technique and uh, keep the spine neutral and all that stuff. But if that means a leg press machine, fine. If you know how to do a goblet squat with a kettlebell, well, that's even better, but it doesn't have to be anything like that. Uh, try to do something where you move fast, right? Um, and then the last one is try to do something that requires sort of a combination of heavy, but some fatigue there. So this could be a set of eight to 10 to 12, something like that. So really it's four things, the sustained effort, the high intensity uh, effort, mm -hmm. the fast, hard, heavy effort, and then the repetition effort of the weights. And you'll notice a lot of those actually cross over into other areas. And so right. this doesn't even have to be a 40 week program. You could do all this in one day if you really wanted, or, uh, you know, break it up over two days. So yeah, that's right. really what we have to get to. Yeah. And one of the things I like about that too, uh, is that, I don't know, historically there was always these camps, right? There was the anaerobic camp and the aerobic camp. And it seemed like that was, that was a big issue and people sort of, stuck in the, right. It, they were stuck in their camps and what you're laying out is a path of, you know, divert, like, like we have diversity in our diet. It's diversity of movement. Right. And I, yeah, I really appreciate it. For sure. That. I mean, I can show this scientifically as well. We did a study on monozygous twins. So, you know, same DNA. Um, and they had about, they had over 30 years of dichordance with their exercise history. And so one of the twins would be basically sedentary. The other ones would have, you know, 30 plus years of uh, extreme exercise training. And what mm -hmm. we saw was it just worked out this way, but the vast majority of the studies in this area, the exercise twin has basically almost entirely aerobic exercise training, very little strength training. Mm -hmm. And so when we looked at the cardiovascular blood and biomarkers and things like that, as predicted that the trained twins, you know, higher VO2 max, better blood cholesterol panels, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. All those things you would predict. Yeah. But when we looked at the other markers like strength, leg power, muscle mm -hmm. quality, they were identical or worse in the endurance twin. Wow. Interesting. And so, huh. I mean, I don't know how much more evidence you need to say like, yeah, the endurance stuff is great for you. Yeah. But if you're also just eliminating this, side, and, I, and I guarantee you, if we found twins that are only strength trained and had no endurance training at all, it, it'd be the 
pretty close to the inverse, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. it, it's just it's just very clear at this point that you need both of those stimuli if you want to have, have a high quality and a high duration uh, of your life. And it's interesting, the words that you're choosing bring me back to when we interviewed Mark Sisson from the Primal Blueprint. And he mm -hmm. actually said things like, lift heavy things, run real fast. It was like part of this Primal Ancestral Blueprint, which is kind of being brought out here in the literature that you're doing, which I find interesting, that whole nature-nurture part of it. I wonder, too, you know, so there's slow twitch, there's fast twitch, and then there's these intermediate fibers, correct? Mm -hmm. And so is there a particular type of thing that will convert the intermediate? Because my understanding is the intermediate is kind of like what you don't want. Like the hybrid? Yeah, the hybrid fibers. And so is there a particular movement or exercise that's more conducive to, to swapping those out? Yeah, and I'm going to gloss over the, the entire literature here, basically, just jump straight to the answer. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> be, be, but be, I'm doing that because the literature is fairly clear, and it's extensive in this area. It. It, okay. it seems to follow. It, it's one of the few times where science actually makes total sense. Yeah, that's the handy when it does. <laughs> yeah. Does it ever? Really? <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like if you get into like naming of signaling proteins, and some of them you're like, what the hell? How do they come up with this name? And then the other ones you're like, heat shock protein. Turns on when you get hot. You're like, damn it. Now that's a good name. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Why did you have to name this one TBC1D4? What the hell? Where did that come from? <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So if you do things that are uh, fast, heavy, explosive, it will convert those more towards faster. If you do things that are sustained energy requirement, they go the opposite. Mm. And so it, it actually is pretty intuitive in that sense. Gotcha. Nice, nice. Well, even just to take some of this and move it in a little bit different direction, you recently wrote this book called Unplugged to kind of address the decrease in physical activity and the reliance on technology. We actually interviewed Ross Arena, and we talked about how in the midst of this pandemic, people are sitting more, which is no bueno, right? But mm -hmm. in general, I in my head think the technology could be helpful and wearables can be helpful to support physical fitness. So where is that line? What's your, what's your thought on that? Mm. So it's a nuanced argument. And I guess one of our general points with Unplugged was it's not an anti-technology book. We don't hold the position okay. that these things are bad. Good. Mm -hmm. Not even close. The book was meant to lay out, here are the pros and cons. So if you utilize them, make sure you don't do this, this, and this, and this, and then you'll have a lot more success. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was the general point of the book. And so examples would be, if you look at the literature, for example, giving people who are inactive or sedentary uh, a Fitbit or a Pokemon Sometimes it's very motivating and they find good success. Mm -hmm. Other times it does the exact opposite. Hmm. Sometimes yeah. it's demotivating because they know they're supposed to hit 10,000 steps and they look today and the thing dings and it says, hey, Michael, you're a thousand. Move your ass. Right. <laughs> and then tomorrow it's, hey, Michael, you suck. It's Stop. a thousand. Stop you know? bothering me, Fitbit. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> How many days in a row do you need to be reminded that you're a failure before you're right. like, I'm not doing this anymore? Right, right. right. And so we see that pop up fairly. And so that was our only argument is let's not, let's stop acting like these things are um, a panacea and you can just hand them out and everyone moves more. In fact, it's demotivating to a lot of folks. And so uh, what we challenge is we put the responsibility on the individual. Okay. And say, you have to pay attention to your own self. If you're hating it and resenting it, if, then ditch it. You don't need that crap. You can succeed a lot of others. If it's motivating, then keep it. And one of the, one of the issues we see with this is a gamification is awesome for like a month mm -hmm. and then it tanks and it falls off massively. And so what we tend to say is, okay, look, I think the best possible use is if you need calibration, you don't have any idea what hundred grams of carbohydrates are. 
you don't really understand how many calories are in your meal. Like you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get an app where you can take a picture of your meals and they'll say, hey, by the way, did you know, Patty, that that, that was actually a 700 calorie meal or that was a 2,800 calorie meal. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> right, right. I had no idea. Got yeah. it. But you should be then or Fitbit or for example, right? So right. in that four to six weeks motivational period, you should be using these technologies to not outsource your physiology, but okay. to insource it. Okay. To learn more about yourself and learn more about, hey, I don't like it when I get told I'm a failure. Some people that's motivating. Mm-hmm. Some people it's demotivating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like it when I have to track food. It gives me anxiety or I actually find it a lot easier when I'm more conscious and aware of what I'm eating. Whatever the case may be, but use that early motivation to figure things out. Like actually, I didn't realize how much I was getting from just taking my dog on a walk. And oh, I feel better about myself because I thought I was a failure for not exercising today, but that's actually a pretty good start. Mm-hmm. Now I'm actually going to go hustle and do this or whatever the case may be. So rather than let people think for you and tell you what to eat, uh-huh. do all that stuff, pay attention to your own endogenous signals and then move from there. So that's really uh, the, the, more, the thesis of the book is that rather than just saying, hey, don't use any of these technologies and let's go back and live in the forest and yeah. put our feet in the ground and get the positive ions and recharge. Like that's not our yeah. position really at all. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. I think about that with respect to uh, HRV training too, where some people get yep. completely stressed out because, oh my gosh, my heart rate variability it went down five points. And and now they're they're adding <laughs> autonom- autonomic <laughs> dysfunction right. to their autonomic dysfunction. That's right. And, um, you know, it really does take a certain person to say, okay, this is going to teach you how to breathe. This is going to, we're going to work on figuring out how, what increases your variability, what increases your autonomic balance, yeah. and then focus on those things. If you want, I have a, I think a five minute, this could be a lie, maybe 25, but it might, I think it's a five minute video uh, on my YouTube that I basically run through the whole entire book in five minutes. And I say, oh, okay, cool. here are the, 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 you know, like there's like 10 or so like pros, if you will, here are the cons, here's how to avoid them. Yeah. And I try to cover the book in five minutes on there. So you could start there if you want, but yeah, like the technology, I mentioned calibration. Uh, it's also great for being reliable and objective, right? It doesn't care if you had a bad day. It's not going to be like, I know you had a bad day. So really? Right. <laughs> like, here's your HRV. Like, oh yeah, it was great. You did great today, Dave. Like, <laughs> so it's good for things like that, but it's bad because it doesn't understand goals. It doesn't understand context. It doesn't understand what else is going on in your life. It doesn't understand a lot of other things. So there's a whole list that we came up with of like positives and then negatives of these technologies. And so just being aware of those not, not those negatives and being able to then apply the technology judiciously. And from the clinician or like my perspective, when I work with an athlete, I, I pay attention a lot to the words they're using, to the feedback I'm getting. And I may, for example, I've done this a plenty of time. I've taken the HRV away from them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So they'll wake up and they'll, they'll text me like, hey, coach, the HRV is in the tank today. And we may be in a phase of training where we're trying to induce physiological adaptation. And I may say, good. The mm-hmm. point is overload. The point is stress. Yeah. If you're not being run down right now, like I'd, I'd be like, damn, we're not, we're not training you hard enough. Huh. Or are you in a peaking phase where we're trying to get recovered? Well, then that's a totally different answer. So the machine just tells you, this, but you have to use your brain to interpret the context and situation, what else is going on. Um, and so sometimes I'll do that because they'll induce themselves into being like, well, right, I'm red today or I'm green. I'm going to go do this extra. Thing. Like, no, like it's one piece of the equation, but um, you know, like with several of my athletes, like we're, you know, we're testing your hydration every day too. We're testing your, your meals, we're tracking your sleep. And so I want to look at seven or eight pieces of information rather than just one and all of a sudden jump to a conclusion. 
I mean, this is the foundation of functional medicine, right? Instead right. of just taking blood measure and being like, oh, HDL is here, ELDL is here. Okay, go ahead and take a statin. Yeah. Like, well, what? Hold on here. <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. More to the equation. And right. So we want to just use the technology appropriately and not just in a limited myopic fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And another part of your book, correct me if I'm wrong, is also about the, the facet of just getting unplugged from technology, getting a little bit off the grid and, and understanding that there's some health benefits to reconnecting with nature as well. And what where did you acquire that type of knowledge? Like where did you find when did you find that was interesting to you? Yeah, so the, the entire book, we try to look at the big picture. And so in order to do that, you zoom out, you zoom out, you zoom out, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, okay. We started with the conversation of heart rate monitors and HRV, and mm-hmm. then we expanded and we just kept going out. And then we're saying, well, well, what does it look like with just your phone? And when do we count a mirror as a piece of technology? Hmm. And how about a scale? Well, and how about the lights? And how about, I mean, a classic example is you get some blood work done from um, this fantastic Genova company that I've heard of that does great biomarker <laughs> assessment. And this is, hey, your, your vitamin D is low. Oh, okay, great. You could... Um, ask them for the recommendation of a vitamin D supplement, or you could say, okay, well, I'm going to go step out and spend more time in the, in the, in the sunlight. Right. And I think in the, my, my, in the book, I gave an example of, of this is actually something I did. Right. And I realized like, okay, well, I don't have any time like you because I'm running research laboratories and athletes. And if you haven't heard screaming kids in the background yet, <laughs> like, this is going on. Right. And so I'm like, I just can't go sit outside for 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. It's just not going to happen. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to set up and I'll do more on my phone calls when I'm outside. So great. Like I was knocking out work while I was getting my son and uh, you know, sunlight exposure. And then I started to realize, actually, I don't know a single thing in my neighborhood. I've been in my neighborhood for three years and I don't know a single street besides the one I live on. Hmm. I'm not aware of anything that's going on. Like I can't, my wife will walk around all the time and be like, oh, you realize there's a hawk over here and this. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And so we see, I started expanding that, that thought process and you realize like, man, okay, so there is some times we want to be efficient like that. But there are also times when you need to just remove all that stuff and, and be a part of the process. So, for example, if you're working out and you're trying to get better at some phase of your exercise and you're in on your phone while you're resting, you're not actually taking that time to subconsciously uh, think through or consciously think through what you're actually doing. And so a lot of the potential benefit that you get from the exercise is gone because you're not totally immersed. Yeah. And when you looked at the, when we looked at the literature on what it takes to be in flow, is what it's called, or kind of in the zone, we saw really routinely nature just jumped out as a, as a very strong and easy way to get people back into flow. And huh. so we started realizing like, man, it's, it's probably good um, to, occasionally be just lost in nature and not not don't go for a hike and put your headphones in right right totally fine sometimes but why like why do you have to have your headphones and why do you have to be listening to a podcast why do you have to be instagramming everything what do we have like you're, you're never going to reach flow or that mental state and you have those constant external distractions you only get there on the ocean in nature when when you remove that a little bit and so i'm not advocating that we all go you know, Dick Pronicky style, just go live up in the, the mountains the rest of our life. Right, but right. Just be something present. every once in a while, yeah. just be detached to get yeah. that state of flow and mental clarity and releases is probably pretty important. 
Yeah, agreed. And uh, I can relate to that, actually. I, I think I might Why? need that. There was a Applebee's that's close to actually where we work. <laughs> we were driving by the other day, and I said, hey, that Applebee's closed. It my was wife, like six years my ago. My wife goes, that was over a year ago that that closed, <laughs> <Yeah>. honey. <laughs> so I think I need to get back into nature. Yep. I've got the little kids screaming in the background, that's too, right. so I get it. Yeah. That's right. Fair enough. Oh, it's a blast. We're going to encourage everyone, obviously, to buy this book, Unplugged. We're going to link to it in the show notes. We'll link to some of your five-minute videos around the book, the XPT stuff, and some of your studies. But we do have this one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman, just to kind of get to know you a little bit. The Fireball. This is the fireball question. And I don't even know why this was the question that came up, but uh, <laughs> we we were wondering, we were first wondering about Ghostface Killer. We're gonna ask, we were gonna ask about Ghostface Killer. <laughs> um, we were actually asking how you feel about soup. Do you, what do you, do you have what, an what opinion about soup? soup? On soup? Yeah. Like the food items? Yes, yeah. yes. Well, um, okay, so what I'll say is, it, we make pretty fantastic soup around here. Uh, one thing I think people underutilize are bones. So I am an advo- a strong advocate of collecting your own food resources as much as possible. Nice. And so one thing I do is bring back um, the bones from any of the animals I harvest. And we can make ridiculous broth yeah. uh, nice. out of that. And we use that as a base for every soup that we make throughout the, the year. So we'll bring back a, a number of freezers full of elk and deer and other bones use that and we can make some pretty amazing so soups are fantastic around here problem is i don't really like to eat them anywhere else because i'm like high bar it's not the best it's not the best i hear you my wife's pretty dope at cooking so they turn out pretty pretty ridiculous (laughs) all right so then that brings us to ghostface killer Mm -hmm. so you have two dogs right Mm -hmm. why would you name your dog ghostface killer all right okay so a couple of things you have to know a little bit of backstory i am a ridiculous hip-hop fan Nice. Cool. Just massive, especially like what we call the golden era in hip hop. So 96 to right. like 82, yeah. something like that. You kind of lose me after 96 in large part. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't evolved past that age <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> so um, my wife had a dog uh, named Noki and she's actually laying right there on the ground. Yeah. So Noki, like the, like the potato dumpling, you know, the yeah, Italian yeah, pasta. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So it's one of her favorite foods. And so then we got the other, we're going to get another dog and she wanted to name it Fusili mm-hmm. or Pesto or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Right. And I was like, look, hon, <laughs> uh, where do you have one newly soft ass name? <laughs> <laughs> like we got to go hard. We got to go the exact opposite. This kid's going to get beat up. He's going right. to get picked on at the park by all the other dogs. It's like, cause she's, no, he's a girl. And, and we, she knew she wanted to get a boy. And so for just like two weeks, I bombarded her with every hip hop name, every rapper name I could right. come up with. Right. My brother and I just tortured her. <laughs> She's just like, no, like, and actually, I actually did this with our, uh, our first two or with our two children as well. Like I, I waited till we were like eight and a half months into the first pregnancy when I was like, come on, let me name her Tupaca. <laughs> like, come on. Tupacina. Like, Tupaca. She's just like, I did it with our son too. The next one, she said, "Come on, just endless." Parade. So, anyways, with him and the speak, Tupaca is currently screaming in the background. Yeah. <laughs> he just actually- turned two. So, uh, so we get to like the end, and I was just like drawing at straws, you know. I'm like, "Come on, Raekwon." She's just like, "No, like what, Raekwon?" I'm like, "Come on." Yeah. And 
And then I was like, how about Ghostface Killer? And she's like, and she paused. And I was like, what? <gasps> I got a pause out of this. And she's like, well, I can call him like Ghosty. And I was like, really? <laughs> and the other, the the semifinal winner was Mac Lethal. Wow. Um, so I was like, Mac Lethal. And she's like, I don't know. And then I was like, Ghostface Killer. And I told my brother, and he's like, dude, it's Ghostface Killer. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's the greatest name. It's a great name. It's the greatest sure. name. Yeah. We were cracking. <laughs> Yeah, so that's how he got to be Ghostface. I love Skyler. it. I love Perfect. it. And that's how my daughter got to be named Tupaca. <laughs> <laughs> also very unique. <laughs> well, Dr. Calvin, thank you so much for answering those questions. And thank you so much for giving us uh, a few minutes of your time and, and going through some of this. I, ha- I have a bunch of other questions, actually. Some of them. Lists. Yeah. But, Lists. Uh, you know, I, I, we won't keep you any longer. And um Thank you just so much again, and uh, we'll, we'll t- stay tuned for your research. We, people can always tune into the PubMed. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of articles with uh, Galpin and AJ, right? That's and right. Um, so We'll link several in the show notes as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But thanks, Andy. This was a blast. My pleasure. Great to be here. You guys for fun. Awesome. Take care. See, I told you, coolest guy you know. That is very true. Yeah. And I know some cool people. No, I don't. I was like, wait, who? Well, You're right. Me. Your look is correct. Thanks. Well, all things being equal, I'm going to get this book unplugged because I relate to a lot of the things he's saying, like being shamed by your wearable devices. We actually talk about anxiety being a contraindication for HRV training. Really? Yeah. Well, what if the HRV training causes your anxiety? Exact, that's the exact problem that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. So if you have right. a predisposition to uh, obsessing about it, mm-hmm. then it's not going to help you. Yeah. Well, all things that I learned from this is that I think you need to rename your cat, Julie. Yeah. That, uh, her name is not nearly quote unquote hard enough. Yeah. We got to fix that. We think, uh, notorious CAT. Snoop cat. That's good. Next time on the lab report, Kelly Sturet. Yeah. You might've heard of something called the ready state. Oh yeah. I've heard of that. Oh yeah. We got him. Sweet. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Did you really not know that the Applebee's closed? It took me a little bit of time. Like, that was years ago, dude. It took me about a year to realize that it was closed. Wow. Very observant. Well, you know, I focus on driving when I'm driving. (laughs) Mostly. Who do you think you are? Michael Chapman? Mm. Do you think I'm someone else? Sometimes.